and want to say hi to everybody that's watching online as well. Thank you for joining us wherever you are at today. We're glad that you are here. And today we're continuing in the People Are Asking series. We've got one more week after this week. And the last couple of questions that we're going to be talking about are questions that have to do with conflict. And all of us experience conflict in our lives, conflict with other people in, in a variety of different ways. And that's what we want to dig into here for a couple of weeks, questions about conflict. This week, we're going to talk about the internal dimension of conflict, what happens inside of our hearts when we experience conflict with someone else. Next week, we're going to talk about the external dimension of conflict, which is what do we do about that? What are we supposed to do when we have an issue with someone, a conflict with someone? How do we handle that? So that's kind of where we're going to go today. Recently at First Free, we experienced some conflict, and so we brought in an outside group called Crossroads Resolution to help us navigate some of that conflict. And Crossroads offered some training in conflict resolution that some of you may have attended. And so this week and next week, we're going to talk about some of the biblical principles that come out of that. And, and probably a lot of this you've heard before, but the, the problem with everything we know from God's word about managing conflict is that in the moment, in the heat of the moment, sometimes we just don't do it. We sometimes know what we're supposed to do, but we don't actually follow through on it. And, and some of this may be new to you. There may be little principles or tips that are buried in God's word that you've never seen or never noticed before. And that's what we want to bring out today and next week as we talk about conflict with other people. It is normal, by the way, to experience conflict. It's actually kind of a healthy thing. It's a result of the fact that we are all different people with different experiences and different opinions. And conflict on its own is not necessarily a bad thing. Because you can have conflict over something and compromise or agree to disagree and still love each other and care for each other, and that's okay. At its core, a conflict is just we have a disagreement about something, and that's fine. There may be some people in the room who are Cubs fans. I don't recommend you raise your hand, but it's possible. And if you did raise your hand, you may find yourself in some conflict after the service. And, and that would hopefully be just a healthy, fun, loving conflict that wouldn't result in anything damaging, I hope. But there are other types of conflict where, depending on how we respond to it and how we react to it, it can really cause major problems in our lives. But conflict is a very normal thing to experience. The early church had conflict. Paul had conflict with Peter. Paul had conflict with Barnabas. The disciples had conflict with each other. If you watch the Chosen TV series, they did a great job depicting some of the heated arguments that the disciples would have with each other. And we know from God's word that they did. They had bitter disagreements with each other, really serious stuff. These are people that walked with Jesus. If anyone should have just radiated the love and grace of God, it would have been these guys, but they had conflict. Um, a lot of the epistles were written to churches who had conflict. These are people who some of them could remember the lifetime of Jesus or at the very least had, had re, um, learned about the faith from the apostles themselves. I mean, you would think surely these guys would know how to get along and yet they still experienced conflict. And so there's a lot that the Bible teaches us about conflict and how to handle it, how to manage it both inside our hearts and with other people. It's just that a lot of times we either don't know it or we don't practice it. And so we want to dig into that a little bit today. Now, fair warning for you, this is going to be a shorter message because, again, as we've been doing this whole series, we're going to have a panel discussion. So I'm going to give you kind of an overview of our, of our concept for today, and then the panel is going to dig a little bit deeper into it. It might feel a little bit like drinking from a fire hose, but if you want to take notes and dive into things later, there'll be a discussion guide for you, and the panel will help us unpack a lot of the things that I'm going to, I'm going to just sort of set the table for the panel discussion later and, and kind of get us all to a baseline understanding of what God's Word 
teaches us about conflict. And today, we're going to be talking specifically about the internal side. What happens in my heart? What happens in your heart when we experience some kind of conflict? When we feel like someone has wronged us? And the answer to that so often is bitterness. So our question for today is, how can I stop being bitter against other people? How do I stop? that bitterness that I feel. And maybe some of you experience that today. Maybe there's something going on in your family or your marriage or with your kids or your parents or, or coworkers or whatever it is where you feel like you've been wronged in some way. Or maybe someone you care about has been wronged in some way. And so you just feel this anger and this resentment and this bitterness well up within you. What is that? What does that do to you? And how can you stop the negative impacts of bitterness in your life? That's what we're going to be talking about. One other thing I want to mention it is not only normal for us to have conflict, it's also normal for those who are kind of on the fringes and the perimeter to want to know the juicy details of that conflict, right? As soon as we find out about some kind of conflict or friction between people, it's like, okay, so what happened? I want to know. And the reality is most of the time, there is no reason for the details of a conflict to be shared or made public, even, and I know this is going to be hard, even when we're asking for prayer about them. That's a lot of times where the seed of gossip starts. It's like, I have a prayer request. This person did this to me. And the reality is a lot of times when we're asking for prayer, we don't actually need to share the juicy details of whatever the conflict is. We'll talk about that more a little bit later. But I, I just wanted to, be, to, to say that up front, that a lot of times when there's conflict, whether it's in a church or in a family, the Bible actually teaches us to keep the circle of those involved very small and only carefully and gradually making it bigger. And, and Jesus said one or two bigger, not like four or five, 50 bigger. So that's the biblical model for how we're supposed to handle conflict. A lot of times we want to know the details. It's almost never a good idea. In fact, it almost always leads to more sin when, the, when conflicts are made public and open. There are certainly times where there's a big public sin or, or big moral failing where it does make sense to make that public. But it, under normal circumstances, that's not the biblical model. So the elders of First Free are going to be our panel for today and next week. And they're not here to share juicy details of any conflicts past or present. They are here to talk about biblical principles. How do we respond inside and externally when there is conflict in our lives? You know, I once visited a church very similar to this one where the pastor got up and he gave a special announcement. He put the photo of a missionary family on the screen. It was a church very, very similar to this. So a photo of a missionary family is up on the screen there. And he said, I just want you to know this missionary family, they're from our church. They're coming off the mission field for a while and want you to know that they're going to be around here so you can say hi to them and love on them. And he probably should have left it at that. But he went on to say, you know, they're really struggling in their marriage right now, having some major issues between the two of them. They're back for marriage counseling. We don't know how long they'll be here for. So just be praying for them. Now, how would you like to have the dirty details of your conflict just made publicly open like that? How awkward is it for that family now coming back and being a part of that church? Because everybody knows what's going on. The circle's supposed to stay small. No matter how much we may like to, to know the details and even think we have a right to know the details of conflict, most of the time, that is not how God designed this to work. So today's question is, how can I stop being bitter against other people? And we, and we want to talk about the internal dimension of conflict. What happens inside of us? At its core, bitterness is a heart issue. Jesus said in Luke 6, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. 
And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Bitterness at its core is a heart issue. It's an internal thing that's within us. And it can lead to all sorts of unhealthy behaviors and unhealthy things that we do. But it's, it's a matter first and foremost of what's inside of our heart. We might be tempted to say, they made me bitter. Just like a kid, when he hits someone, is going to say, he made me do it. He made me hit him. I heard that this week. It's like, well, he looked at me funny, so I had to hit him. He made me do it. It's like, no, he didn't. You still control your response to that. And bitterness is like that. Bitterness is never the only option. Bitterness in our hearts is never the only option. In fact, the Bible gives us two good options for what to do when we feel we've been wronged or when someone we love has been wronged. The first of those two options is in Proverbs 19.11. Proverbs 19.11. And I learned this a long time ago, and the way I remember this reference is because those, those four numbers there are, are a certain type of gun, handgun, 1911, handgun series. And because sometimes you just get so angry at somebody, you want to pull out a gun and shoot them, right? And so now I remember Proverbs 1911, sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. Now you won't forget that reference now, will you? Proverbs 1911. Sensible people control their, their, their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. What does that mean? Overlooking means to pass over. Overlooking means to pass over. It's the idea of jumping over a hurdle and not having to look back. If you can be wronged by someone and overlook it and not look back, then it's in the past and you don't have to worry about it anymore. And that is the first response we can have when someone has wronged us is to say, I'm going to overlook it. I'm not going to let it bother me. And you know, you probably do this all the time. There's probably something this week that happened where something rubbed you the wrong way and you thought about it for five minutes and you said, I'm not even going to let it bother me. I'm, it's in the past. I'm going to just let it roll off my back and not deal with it. That's overlooking a wrong. Sometimes there are offenses that can't be overlooked. Sometimes we keep looking back at them. We tried to jump over it, but we can't get past it. We keep looking back at that hurdle and it's still in our lives and it's still impacting us. Or maybe the offense is actually continuing to have a negative effect and it needs to be dealt with or, or, or out of love. We, we want to do something for the other person who hurt us in a way that maybe they don't even understand. And that's why Jesus gave us some teaching in Matthew chapter 18. He, he taught us, and we're going to look at this in more detail next week, but the, the basic gist of it is that when there is an issue where someone has wronged you or offended you in some way, your responsibility is first to go to that person one-on-one -on -one and share the issue that you have. And Jesus says, if they don't even listen to you, then you make the circle a little bit bigger. One or two more people. That's it. You don't go around telling everybody. You keep the circle small. And that's how you deal with offenses and wrongs and, and disagreements and conflicts. That's the, the Jesus way to do it. And then if that still doesn't work with a total of maybe up to four people in the room, then you involve church leadership. And that's, that's the process, the biblical process. But if, if you've been wronged, you really only have two good biblical godly options. You either overlook it or you deal with it Jesus way. And so many of the problems that we have interpersonally in life is just because we don't follow what the scripture says about what to do when there's a conflict. We have those two options. And if we don't follow those, we create all sorts of problems in our lives. One of the biggest ones is when we don't overlook and we hold on to resentment inside and we let that grow into bitterness. Now, before I go any further, I want to give a really important point of clarification that's very, very critical. And that is we are not talking about criminal offenses here. We are not talking about someone has physically harmed you in some way, abused you, done, stolen from you. 
This is not a replacement for the criminal justice system. Some religions actually try to do that, but the Bible supports the government's role in bringing criminals to justice. And so we are not saying that if someone has actually harmed you in some physical way, abused you in some way, that that you are now to go talk to them one-on-one and bring up that issue with them. That is not at all what this is about. This is about disagreements. This is about conflicts that we have that are not criminal in nature, but but they hurt. And they bother us, and and they may actually cause some kind of harm, just not criminal harm. What do you do with those? That's what we're going to talk about this week and next. Now, I thought about bitterness a lot this week, as you can imagine. I spent many, many hours studying bitterness, pouring over Scripture to see everything that it has to say about bitterness. And I also spent a lot of time just praying and and talking with God and and trying to do some self-evaluation and asking the question, is there any bitterness in my heart right now? And I can honestly say, I don't, I don't think there is. I think that was the conclusion of that. God didn't reveal any, any bitterness there to me. I don't think I have any bitterness in my heart right now. But there is something very important that came to mind as I went through that process that helped me understand bitterness just a little bit better. And this is probably not new to you at all, but it, it kind of felt new to me, so I'm going to share it with you. At its core, bitterness, bitterness is really unforgiveness that has been allowed to grow deep roots in our mind. Bitterness is really unforgiveness that has been allowed by us to grow deep roots in our minds. That's what bitterness really is. When we're bitter, it's because someone has wronged us in some way. And instead of overlooking and forgiving, like Proverbs 19.11 says, or even instead of dealing with it in a healthy way like Jesus taught us to, we allow it to grow deep roots. And we continue to hold on to that unforgiveness. And that grows into bitterness and resentment. And eventually, if we're not careful, into hatred. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. First, I want to talk about the effect that bitterness has when it does grow deep roots in our mind. The first thing with bitterness is that it disrupts our relationship with God. Bitterness disrupts our relationship with God. Jesus said, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. What does that mean? That lack of forgiveness is that bitterness. I am still bitter at this person, so I could never forgive them for what they did to me or what I think they did to me. And it's that failure to forgive that Jesus says is going to cause God to not forgive your sins. Now, that's a, that's a serious thing. And you might, you might be tempted to think, well, does that mean God's never going to forgive us? No, he's not talking about salvation here. He's talking about your relationship with God right now, right here on this earth. 1 John 1, 9 tells us to confess our sins and says God will forgive us when we do that. Okay, but there are times in life where we hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness against other people. And God says, then you and I aren't cool right now. And you may have felt that you may have felt that at times where you have had some disagreement with another person, uh, especially another brother or sister in Christ. And you have felt like your relationship with God suffered as a result. That's what Jesus is talking about. here. There are there are real consequences to us holding on to bitterness, not just for our own selves and for other people, but between us and God. And so bitterness disrupts our relationship with God. Number two, bitterness that's allowed to continue, the Bible says is like a poison. It's like a poison. Hebrews 12 says, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. And then he says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Get this, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Now pay attention to those words there. Watch out, be careful. This is something you can avoid. 
And you need to be careful for other people as well. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness. He's saying the same type of thing. It, it grows. It's, it's like a weed. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness um, of grows up to what? Trouble you and corrupt many. See, it doesn't just affect you. If you've ever known a person who's really bitter against someone else or against God or against circumstances, which we're just talking about the people aspect today, but of course there are other aspects of bitterness as well. But if you've ever known someone who's really, really bitter, you know that it kind of leeches out. They can't keep it to themselves. It gets shared with other people. And so it troubles that person, but it corrupts many because it spreads. In fact, another person may hear their, their cause and, and really what amounts to gossip. And then that person may become bitter on their behalf. I've been there before where somebody has shared something with me and it's because of their bitterness and they probably shouldn't have shared it with me and I shouldn't have listened. And then I start to become angry for them. And now I'm kind of a little resentful and bitter because of what they shared with me. That's what he's talking about here. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up within you to trouble you and corrupt many. You've probably heard it before that holding on to a grudge or bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. It's going to harm you more than it harms them. One of the elders brought up a, a comment by Rick Warren who said, resentment always hurts you more than it does the person you resent. While your offender has probably forgotten the offense and gone on with life, you continue to stew in your pain, perpetuating the past. Listen, those who hurt you in the past cannot continue to hurt you now unless you hold on to the pain through resentment. Your past is past. Nothing will change it. You are only hurting yourself with your bitterness. For your own sake, learn from it and let it go. The last point I want to make about the effect of bitterness in your life is that bitterness sustained is actually evidence of not being a child of God. And that, that sounds very harsh, but it's right from the lips of John, who said anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart, and you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. What's he saying there? Well, the, the extreme level of bitterness when it goes on too long becomes hatred. I don't like this person. I can't stand this person. I hate this person. I kind of wish they were dead. That's hatred. Jesus said it. John said it. That's equivalent to murder. And John adds, you know, murderers don't have eternal life within them. What's he trying to say? Hey, those of you who have struggled with bitterness so long that you have now started to hate that other person, you actually need to do a serious check on whether you are a child of God. Have you really trusted in Christ? Do you really have the Holy Spirit inside of you convicting you? Because you, you ought to feel absolutely miserable right now if you have allowed bitterness to get to this point. It's a serious deal. But I would rather have someone have some healthy caution for their spiritual state that have false assurance and think because they pray to prayer sometime, everything's good. They've got their fire insurance and they can now do whatever they want, including loathe all these other people, hate all these other people and think, oh, everything's okay with me. No, it's not. The Bible tells us to love. The Bible tells us to have grace. The Bible tells us to forgive. And if we have bitterness that's grown to the point of hatred, it is a possibility, John says, that we don't have eternal life in us. And, and that should scare us to a healthy degree if we have allowed it to go on that long. And, and not to say that there's no hope, but to say, if that's you, you need to spend some time in prayer and get right with God and say, Jesus, I'm not sure if I've really ever trusted in you completely. I may have still been relying on me, but I want you to be in my life and I, I want to change. I want this to be different. I know you have to do it and not me. Some serious warnings about bitterness. Bitterness is incredibly deceptive because Bitterness seems like it's justified. They're wrong. 
I'm right because of what they did to me. I have the right to feel this way. Haven't you ever felt that way? Like, it's my right to feel this way toward them. It's my right to resent them. It's my right to be bitter against them. But the Bible tells us that bitterness is a sin, and it's always a sin, no matter what the other person did. See to it that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up within you to trouble you and corrupt many. That's the pattern that bitterness takes. So let's make this really practical right now. How can I stop being bitter against other people? Maybe, maybe some of you are recognizing, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this right now. I've got some bitterness in my heart. What do I do about it? Well, I searched the scriptures and I relied on a lot of the, the training that, uh, that I've received from different people in different groups. And I looked at everything the Bible says about bitterness and I studied it and I came up with only seven points. So you'll be happy to know there's only seven things you have to do. You've probably heard most of these before. You may want to write them down, but if you're struggling with bitterness, you, you need to know these things. They're right out of God's word. The first thing we have to do is pretty obvious. We have to admit that bitterness is a sin, uh, but that does have to be a first step because we want to say, well, it's fine for me to resent that person. Look at what they did to me. It's justified, but we have to admit the Bible says bitterness is a sin. We saw that in Hebrews chapter 12, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. We have to admit bitterness is a sin. The second thing we need to do is confess the sin of bitterness before God. Confess your sin to God. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Notice a couple of things. Even if you're a follower of Jesus, you still have to confess your sins. You, can, you don't have to confess your sins to a priest. You confess your sins to God. And you confess your sins to God. And what does he do? He is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all wickedness. Who does the cleansing it's God. You may have felt like at times you have recognized a bitterness in your heart and you've wanted to get rid of it and you've tried. And every time you try to stop thinking about how much you hate that person or resent that person, you just think about it more. It's impossible to stop thinking about something, isn't it? Because the more you try to stop thinking about it, the more you think about it. The way to stop being bitter is not to just automatically flip a switch in your mind and stop being bitter. It's to confess that sin to God. And it says he will cleanse you from all wickedness. If bitterness is sin, that's the first step. If bitterness is wickedness, then we need God to cleanse us from it. That's step number two. Number three, confess your sin of bitterness to others. I just said earlier, you don't have to confess it to a priest. The priest is not the means by which you get your sins forgiven by God. The Bible never says that. The Bible says you get your sins forgiven directly by God when you confess to him. So, but you do need to confess your sins to other people. James 5 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. You do need to confess your sins to other people. Why? So they can pray for you. So they can be your accountability partner. So they can support you in this. And by the way, when you confess your sins to each other, it does not say you have to confess all the details of your sins to each other. A lot of gossip actually starts as a wonderful prayer request. I need prayer for something. You wouldn't believe what this person did to me. Let me tell you all about it. The reality is a lot of times when we're confessing sins to each other, which we probably don't do nearly enough, we don't have to get into all the juicy details. In fact, sometimes it would be sinful to do so, and sometimes it will actually lead to another person sinning by getting into all of the details. But what we can do is say, hey, guys, I've really been struggling with bitterness against somebody. And I don't need to go into the specifics, but I just recognize this is a sin in my life. And it's, it's been a struggle for me and I'm, I'm wrestling with it. I just ask that you'd pray for me. Would you pray for me right now that God would help cleanse this bitterness out of my heart because I need him to do it and I need your support. And then what happens the next week? They ask you, hey, how you doing with that? And so it's accountability for you and they can keep praying for you. That's what the Bible says about confessing your sins to each other. Number four, 
confess your sins to the person that you've been bitter against. Now, in some situations, this may not make sense. And in some situations, the person that you're bitter against may not even be alive anymore. You may not be able to do it. But if possible, and especially if your bitterness has affected that person in some way, you have an obligation to go and confess it to them. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, so this was before he died, before the church was created. This is the old way of worshiping God. If you present a sacrifice in the altar at the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, in other words, you have wronged them in some way, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Stop your worship. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. What's he saying? If you have wronged someone in some way and you know it, Before you even bother worshiping God, think about that. Jesus said, stop worshiping God. Stop that act of worship you were about to do, because before you do that, I want you to go be right with that person. Those are strong words from the Son of God. Stop your worship of God and go be reconciled to that person, then come back and worship God. That's the priority that God has for you. Notice that we talked about Matthew 18 earlier. If someone has wronged you, You have the option to overlook it or go address it the way Jesus taught. If you have wronged someone else, you don't have the option. It's a command. Jesus says, stop your worship. Go and be reconciled to that person. If you have harbored bitterness in your heart, which we've just said, we have to admit that it's a sin. And if that bitterness has somehow affected that person, there's a coldness there. There's stuff that you've done, stuff that you've said harmful to that other person. Jesus says, go and make that right before you even continue your worship. You know, we are going to have communion next week. We were going to do it this week. We actually moved it somewhat intentionally. Um, It's going to line up really well with what we talk about next week. But it may be that there's some people uh, who need to go get things right with other people that they've wronged in some way before they take communion next week because that would be the closest parallel. If you're worshiping God through the act of communion and yet you have some unreconciled wrong that you've done against someone else or bitterness that you've held against someone else and it's affected them in some way, and they know it, and you're not going and reconciling with them, then, then you shouldn't be taking communion. And Paul actually says that as well in another part of Scripture. So confess your sin to the person you've been bitter against, especially if it's possible and if it's impacted them in some way. Number five, commit to rejecting bitterness by proactively giving space for other people to offend you. This is like, this is amazing. This is the, the magic bullet of relationships here. It's the, probably the magic bullet of marriages too. And I'm not saying I always do this well. But Colossians 3 says, make allowance for each other's faults. Make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. And now, who are we supposed to forgive? Anyone. It's just this sort of blanket like, they've wronged you in some way? Forgive them. They've wronged you? Forgive them. They've wronged you? Forgive them. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. This is a strong command. Now, I have a savings account and I have a checking account. And the reason I have both of those is because the checking account interest is not very good. And the savings account is marginally better. So I keep the emergency fund in the savings account and then I use the checking account to pay the bills, right? And every now and then I will screw up and I will not have enough money in the checking account and some bill will hit and it'll take me over my limit in my checking account. Not good, right? That's why I have overdraft protection. It's my buffer. I've made allowance for the possibility, and the bank has allowed me to make that allowance so that I get a little notification in my email that says, by the way, this, this payment took you over your limit, and I can get in, and I can really quickly go you know, shuffle a little bit of money over there to cover whatever it went over. 
I'm making allowance for the possibility that, some, that something's going to overdraw on my account. That's the idea here. You make allowance for each other's faults. You know, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Somebody's going to say something that's going to rub you the wrong way. They're going to do something that hurts you. They're going to, they're going to do something that, that has wronged you or someone you love in some way. And Colossians, Paul says, you need to make allowance for that. You need to have overdraft protection in your relationships where you say, it's okay that you aren't perfect with me all the time. It's okay that sometimes you say stuff that hurts me. Not that I enjoy it, not that I like it, and not that I won't tell you about it lovingly because I want you to know how this impacted me. But I'm not going to hold it against you because I've got overdraft protection. I'm making allowance for those faults that are going to happen because we're all broken, sinful people. Number six, commit to giving others the benefit of the doubt. Philippians chapter two says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. What happens when someone, when we have the perception that someone has wronged us? Well, we tend to make up stories in our mind about all the reasons they did that and the motives that they had. And we're great conspiracy theorists. And we can come up with all sorts of stories about why this happened. And it was probably because of this. And they don't like this. And they did this to me. And they've never liked me. And all these stories we create in our minds. But that is not thinking of others as better than ourselves, is it? That's thinking of them as much, much worse than ourselves. Philippians 2, 3 teaches us to think of others as better than ourselves. That means when someone wrongs us, it is a command for us to give them the most generous explanation possible. And, and maybe it's not a very good explanation, but that's what we're supposed to do. Think of others as better than yourselves. Now, before I give number seven, I want to invite our panel to come up on stage. So we're going to have three panelists join us up here. They're going to talk and unpack this more and give personal stories. Uh, but, but while they do that, let me give you point number seven. This is important. This is probably the most important one. Because it's possible that you go through these steps and you confess your sin and you talk with the other person and they're like, forget you. I don't want to have a relationship with you anymore. That's possible. You can't control their response. So what do you do? Do you go on living in guilt and condemnation because of that? Not at all. Know that regardless of what the other person does, if you confess your sins, you are forgiven by God. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. God has forgiven you and that's what matters. You can't control what the other person does. You can't control completely whether a relationship is reconciled. It may be, it may not be. But if you have done your part biblically and you have confessed your sin of bitterness to God, you don't need to live in the guilt and condemnation any longer. And there may be more stuff that's between another person and God. But that's your piece of it. And you need to know that God forgives you. And you don't have to hold on to that anymore. So those are the, the seven steps on how to stop being bitter against someone. And now we're going to dive into it a little bit further with our illustrious panel. Thank you guys so much for being here. Do you like illustrious? Was that a good word to describe you? I don't know. Maybe there's a better one you'll think of. Let's go ahead and have you introduce yourselves. Tell us who you are and, and what you do at the church. Yeah, my name is Todd Yeager. I'm an elder here at the church, and I've been called a lot of things, so, but I won't mention that publicly. Is that it? Oh, okay. I'm Ben Thomas, uh, one of the elders here at the church. Uh, my wife, Kelly, and I have been coming to First Free for about seven years. And I think the word is notorious, not illustrious. Notorious. Uh, notorious, yeah. Okay. My name's Jeff Estes. Uh, Kathy and I have been here 20 years next month. Awesome.
That's great. Thank you to whoever went woo. (laughs) (laughs) So to kick things off, I want to ask the the question that, that helps everybody understand where we're coming from on this. How many of us have ever struggled with bitterness against someone just to get that out of the way? Is this something that we wrestle with? Okay, so all of us are sinners. We fully admit that and have wrestled with bitterness against other people. Um, and, and is there anything that you guys would want to share about that as we get started here? Yeah, I think um, for me, it's really natural to feel when I have unmet expectations um, in other people or unmet expectations in a situation that um, when I dwell on those, those feelings, those unmet expectations, that's really when it turns to bitterness in my heart. Yeah, that's good. I would, I would add, like, uh, when, when you feel like you're treated unfairly, it's, it's a real feeling. Um, I remember an example with, when my kids were younger, and it's like I was pouring into them, and they, they, turned, they turned on me. <clears throat> Excuse me. One of my daughters turned on me, and I, I remember looking at her in the eye and saying, hey, if you don't get a better attitude, you can change your own diaper. And, and some, excuse me, sometimes we're like that, right? We're, and I bring that up as a silly example, but families are, can, can be the worst, right? Where we can harbor some things that, that don't need to be there. And uh, so maybe a more practical example was this week, I, was in, I, get, I got a bill back from a restaurant. It's $20 more than what I expected to pay. So what do I do? As a believer, as a Christian, I need to use humility, and that was the one thing that kept coming to mind over and over again is humility. How do I graciously and humbly go to this person and try to work through this conflict uh, and uh, go from there? Yeah, I was there, and I was offended for you, and you handled it so graciously. (laughs) Tell my wife that. Uh, Yeah, yeah, this is recorded. So you're saying it's a first? (laughs) No. Well... Adam began by talking about the fact that, uh, you know, just how we were going through the crossroads process. I think for me, uh, it was just a great reminder of how broken we all are uh, and how we fall short in so many ways. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 sets a very high bar for us. It says, love is patient and kind. I'm not always patient and kind. Uh, In fact, I'm regularly uh, not patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. And Adam, I think, you know, you shared that James chapter 4, 1 through 3 talks about the fact that the root of so much of our conflict is tied to us demanding our own way. It isn't irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. You know, I don't want those things to be true of me, um, but they often I just fall short in so many ways with that, and it results in conflict. I think the big takeaway for me was just as we came away from Crossroads, just recognizing that people are messy. Relationships are difficult. Uh, They take a lot of work, but they're worth pursuing. Uh, People are worth the trouble. That's good. That's good. Yeah, when you mentioned um, love does not demand its own way, one of the quotes that the Crossroads trainers used was from C.S. Lewis, which said, and I may not get the quote exactly right, but a desire treated as a demand is an idol. And I think that's so often true in our our marriages and our families with our friends at church, where we have a desire and it becomes a demand to us. It demands our own way. And then when we don't get that demand, 
it, it's an idol to us. It, it becomes an idol where it's like, well, I have to get my way on this. And that is so often the root of uh, conflict that we experience. Now, all of us at different times, we said, have, have experienced bitterness in our lives. Um, I recently had some bitterness against someone that, had, that I felt wronged me um, in a significant way and had the opportunity to confess that bitterness to them and they forgave me, which is um, always a, a great experience and great thing to do if you do that. Have you guys ever um, struggled with bitterness and, uh, and can share about that? Because I know some, some issues of bitterness, it's like, no, we're not gonna share about that publicly. Some of you may have permission to share some things publicly. Publicly, so uh, if you want to share uh, any stories where you've kind of wrestled with bitterness and, and how that went. Yeah, I can share a story. Um, it's one I've been, you know, it goes a little ways back, but I've been thinking about it a lot this week. And uh, my struggles with bitterness, I think, are, are similar to what a lot of other people feel. Um, you know, I had desires and expectations, and um, when those weren't met, it, I got wounded sometimes. And it's when I dwelt on those those unmet expectations that really bitterness started to grow. And for me, one example I'm not proud of, and uh, I've shared, I shared this in the first service, but um, when my wife and I lived in, in Minnesota, uh, we had two kids under two, and we were just in the busyness of life. You know, young kids, uh, we didn't have much of a community at the time because we had relocated up in that area, so we didn't have a lot of other people to um, to really kind of wrestle and talk through and pray with. And um, as you can imagine, uh, I, my wife was really tied up, or had her hands tied with two two young kids, and I very selfishly, and I'm not proud of it, was had these these feelings of I'm not a priority. She doesn't care about me, you know, where is this going? And, um, you know, I say it, and it's kind of ridiculous to even think that, but these are the thoughts that I had, and I was dwelling on them. And so much so that it came to a point when uh, my wife asked me one afternoon, hey, is everything all right? And I looked up at her and I said, no, nah, you know what? I don't think I love you anymore. <laughs> and she's like, what? Like, whoa, it's just, it was, uh, it was a serious moment. And, you know, thankfully, you know, with God's help, we kind of were able to talk through it. Um, you know, I was able to put those unmet expectations in the proper place and uh, to kind of work through that and to, you know, for me to ask for forgiveness for saying that and for us to kind of work through some of the expectations and for me to just communicate with her what I was feeling. One thing that really helped us work through that was a book that uh, we were reading at the time called Love and War by John and Stacy Eldridge. And in that book, it talks about how we can make agreements with Satan. You know, Satan is the father of lies and he can feed us these lies. And in, in the book, uh, John Aldridge says that we tend to make agreements with those lies. Agreements like, they don't care about me. I'm not a priority. This is always going to be this way. This is never going to happen. Those kind of things. And as we start to really dwell on those, as we really start to think about it, that's when bitterness starts to grow. And so it's really important for us to to break those agreements, to pray with God, to break those agreements that we've bought into, those lies that we've bought into. And uh, when, 
when my wife and I kind of went through that and were able to kind of work through that and pray over that, that was, uh, was really helpful for me to turn away from the bitterness I was feeling. Mm. Thank you. I really appreciate you sharing that. Ben is, is our sensitive and kind elder. He, he has a really soft heart, and you can see that I appreciate that. Uh, for those of you who've heard my testimony, read it maybe, uh, I, I had a messy childhood, and I grew up uh, with a lot of insecurities that just created a strong need uh, to be loved and valued. And when you think about the need I have for acceptance, I'm constantly surprised every time I find myself in conflict. I recognize that shouldn't be a surprise since I am part of a large extended family and I'm in church leadership and I have a big personality and I'm a very emotional guy and I have too many words. Those are all the sort of things that can get a person in trouble and create conflict, um, which is inevitable. I did not want to believe that I struggled uh, with bitterness though, uh, but I found myself replaying situations, events, conversations in my mind over and over again. And as I did, I would find that the negative thoughts would crowd out the good ones. And you start finding yourself, as you mentioned, Adam, starting to believe things that aren't true. And for me, this would lead to irritability, impatience, and really insecurity. And when you're in the midst of that, it can be really difficult to discern what's true and what's not. So for me, what has been really helpful is reflecting, meditating on Philippians chapter 4, 8, which says, fix your thoughts on what's true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And then with respect to relationships, another key verse for me is, I was sharing 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7 goes on to say that love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and it endures through every circumstance. So there's this, this encouragement for us to persevere, for us to really strive and work from a relational point of view. Yeah, yeah, we're not supposed to give up quickly. We're supposed to work through it like a, like a family. Yep, that's good. Todd, have you ever experienced some negative impacts from bitterness in your life? Yeah, um, you know, uh, if I basically, want to share that when I have soured, right, then it becomes a chasm, becomes a distance between me and the other person. And that's just never good. It's never positive. It's, it's always negative. Um, if I could share, Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, do not be quickly provoked in your spirit. You know, and it's like when I, my first step is to be provoked in a negative way. That can sour things. A really easy example is I was coaching Little League, uh, and uh, a parent came up, had a suggestion for me, and I immediately got defensive. I immediately circled my wagons. I immediately thought to myself, well, I'm the expert here. Well, I'm the coach here. Well, you know, I, I own your kids' uh, amount of time that they get to play. You know, what do you, what do you, you know? And what's weird is the next time I saw that person, it was a negative experience in my mind, it's like, whoa, something's not right here. Uh, so I had to reconcile that. It was not something that I even needed to talk to them about, but it was basically something that I just had to say, Lord, take this, this is not, this is not good. Um, I will just say this, 
the elders uh, chose to bring Crossroads in to help with some conflict. And it was a good decision that we wanted that to happen. One of the things that, that, uh, that happened was that there was a major theme that came out, the four G's of peacemaking, glorify God, get the log out of your eye, gently restore, go and be reconciled. So if I focus on just the one, get the log out of our own eye, that one relates to humility, right? You're looking at your own self as opposed to others. And that's really comes naturally to some people and it just comes unnaturally to some people. And so if we can just take a step forward in that direction, then it, it's been all worthwhile to have them with us. Good, good. Um, what are some other unhealthy responses we might have to being wronged um, besides bitterness or maybe ways that bitterness shows up but it doesn't look like bitterness? Yeah, you know, I think that's a great question because we were so focused on the bitterness piece, but there are so many different ways where unforgiveness can manifest itself. At times you might see it in apathy or indifference. Uh, you might say to yourself, well, that person just needs to get over it, all right? Or I can't help that they feel that way. I think the indifferent person who responds in that way is really saying that the person who's been offended, that the relationship isn't worth it, that they're not worth the trouble. Another time, another thing that we do is we have this thing toward avoidance or withdrawal. I, I don't like conflict, it might be your response, and so I'm gonna avoid that person, I'm gonna skip this event, I'm going to do something else, I'm gonna go somewhere else just to avoid uh, conflict. Another one might be rejection or, you know, as we commonly think, writing someone off. I, I'm enjoying a good series on ESPN right now on Derek Jeter's life. It's called The Captain. And uh, in it, he talks about loyalty and how important it is to him. And he makes the statement that it's a two-way street. If somebody crosses him, if somebody fails him, if trust is broken once, it's broken forever. He's through. He's done. And... I see that, you know, in, in, at times in, a, in our relationships with people. You're done. I'm, I'm through with you. Another area, anger, hostility. Uh, it, it may manifest itself in a, in a, in a even though you don't desire it, uh, uh, this thing to get even. It may be that you're going to damage, you say, I'm going to damage your reputation. I'm going to harm your relationships with other people. Uh, and then another response we can have is being one of victims. Um, you see the world through a lens of hurt, and you're sensitive toward rejection, and oftentimes that can lead to depression. You have a loss of joy, and you have a loss of purpose. That's good. I'm curious for those that may be here this morning or watched online and are realizing, I've got some bitterness in me, actually, that I would like to deal with. We've talked about seven things the Bible says to do, but I wonder if the three of you might have some advice, some tips, some guidance on where to start and, and maybe something to add that has helped you um, in overcoming bitterness. Yeah, I would say for me, really, forgiveness is the key. I was reading an article as we were kind of thinking and praying and preparing for this topic, and it's uh, by an author named Vanitha uh, Risner uh, called, We Cannot Cling to Bitterness and God. And in it, she says, uh, forgiveness means refusing to retaliate or hold bitterness against people for the way they have wounded us. She goes on to say that 
forgiveness is not about saying that the, the sin doesn't matter or how you were hurt doesn't matter. And it's not about approving of what that person may have done or even minimizing the offense. It's something that's done in ourselves. It's something that's done in our heart. And it's refusing to hold on to that bitterness. Um, so I thought that was, that was really good. And what I would say to those that can see others living in bitterness, um, we talked about that Hebrews 12, 15 verse. And uh, in the NLT, it says, watch out that no one um, uh, fails to obtain the grace of God. And in another translation, it says, see to it that no one fails to receive the grace of God. And the actual see to it is the same Greek word as overseer, which is a term they use for elders. See to it that no one receive, no one um, fails to obtain the grace of God. And I think all of us, all of us in the church have an obligation to see to it that no one fails to receive the grace of God. As uh, Jeff mentioned earlier, people are worth the trouble. We are messy, all of us are messy. That includes myself, that includes all of us up here on stage. But we want to make sure that each one of us is pursuing those relationships and helping each other receive that grace of God. Mm. So kind of um, just in conclusion, for those that are feeling bitterness or feeling hurt, I just want you to know that, you know, our heart breaks for you, especially when the hurt came from a circumstance that maybe happened in the church. And um, if that hurt is fresh, we just encourage you to continue to process through it, to continue to stay in process and work through that and, and ask God for help and, and reach out to others for help. But for others, you may have been living with bitterness for a long time. You may have um, really been dealing with it and it, it may be uh, a long pattern for you. And in that is the case, I really encourage you to pray, to trust God, and to forgive that person that you're holding the bitterness against. I think if you can do that, that you will be amazed at being released from that prison of bitterness and that you will feel a flood of God's joy and peace wash over you. Good stuff. Anybody else? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I can add anything better than that. That was, that was really good. I really <laughs> appreciate that. It's a good word. Um, I would just say that... Um, you know, we are, we are hopelessly human. And uh, because of that, uh, you got to give yourself a little bit of a break there. You know that some of these emotions, some of these conflicts are going to come. And, but when they come, to, to really recognize that, to see that, hey, there are some tools, there are some ways to help listen to each other better, to help um, treat each other and pursue Christ first before we go to our brother uh, with our offense. Um, I think that we need to start in the church. We've talked about this a lot. We, we start with the executive pastor, stay humble. The other pastors, stay humble. The elders, stay humble. And the congregation, stay humble to where then we put each other first and uh, go from there. I'll be quick. We started talking about just our brokenness. And Adam, I, I love the verse that you shared uh, in Colossians chapter 3 where it talks about making allowance for others' faults. It says the same thing in Ephesians 4 too. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, 
making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Man, I would hate to think that, like with Derek Jeter, one time and you're done. I fall short so many times. So uh, apply grace. Uh, you know, um, I would just conclude by saying, when I think about steps, begin with humility and kindness, practice empathy, try to see the situation from the other person's point of view, reflect on the times that you've hurt others and you've been forgiven, and then remember and reflect upon the fact that Christ has forgiven you. As you mentioned so many times, think the best of others. Give others the benefit of the doubt. Another one I think is just really letting go of expectations. Do your part without expecting anything in return. Romans 12, 18 says, do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. And then Paul says in Acts 24, 16, because of this, I tried, I do everything I can to make certain I have a clear conscience between God and man. So finally, just forgive deeply and unconditionally. Saw something interesting, and that is that when we feel this, this pressure to forgive and, you know, hey, you, you better make things right, we, we end up not really forgiving. You know, uh, forgiving under compulsion often leads to worse relationships. So I'm looking forward to next week when you tell us a little bit more about how to go through these steps. So I'll just turn it over to you. Yeah, uh, something that just popped into my head as you were talking is how it seems to me that unforgiveness and bitterness, when it continues to grow in our hearts, is very closely linked to a lack of faith in God. I'm not trusting God with the outcome. I'm not trusting God with whatever the thing is I'm upset by, whatever I'm bothered by. And that lack of trust in God manifests as I, I want this person to make it right, or I want to force this to be right, or I want to demand my own way, or I want, whatever it is, you know? And it just, it's something that God has taught me in the last few years is just how much a strong trust in God overcomes a lot of those expectations and demands that you mentioned. Because at the end of the day, you know, as long as my heart is right and as long as I am and trying my best and getting better and better at following Jesus and his commands when it comes to these things, there's a certain point where I just have to say, you know what, maybe I didn't get my way on that. Okay you know what, I'm, I've still got a home in heaven and God is still on the throne and God allowed that to happen even though I may not like it. And so what good does it do me to hold on to that in my heart if God allowed that to happen? And so I think there's a strong element of faith in God and trust in God that can really help us to start dealing with some of those things that we hold on to, the bitterness that we hold on to. It doesn't necessarily make it easier, but it is, I think, a big part of it is that faith in God. Well, as we leave you today, I want to point out a couple of things. One is there is a discussion guide to go along with us at efree.org slash discussion. So if you want to go deeper into this conversation with your family, with your friends, with your small group, that is available for you. It is going to be a big help to take this conversation to the next level. Also, if you would like to give and support the ministry of First Free, uh, your giving does so much here. I mean, it really is. It's a way that you can give and impact so many different things that you want to have an involvement in. The, the mission that happens overseas, the outreach that happens here locally, 
There are so many things that the church does to support kids and youth and people in need that, that you, you don't even get to see it all, but by giving here, you support all of that. So thank you for doing that. You can go to efree.org slash give and, and give one time or set up a recurring gift, and that makes all of this possible. I also wanna mention that if you need prayer for anything, and maybe it's prayer for something that God has convicted you about today, please come up and see us after the service, or if you're online and can't join us in person today, go to efree.org slash prayer and let us know there. Our prayer team, our staff, our pastors, our elders would love to be praying for you through that. I want to pray for all of us now as we close. We're not going to have a, a closing song today. We're just going to pray and then encourage you to think about this this week and see if there's any bitterness in your heart that God is, is trying to help you work on. Let's pray. Father, this is um, such an important topic and one that maybe we don't talk about enough. And I pray that you would search all of our hearts right now and expose in us anywhere where we have held on to some bitterness that may be hindering our relationship with you and our relationship with others and might even be becoming more poisonous over time. Sometimes it's, it's like a fungus that just takes over everything. Sometimes it's like weeds that kind of pop up here and there every now and then, but it's still that, that hurdle that we thought we jumped over, but we keep looking back at. So God, I pray that you'd help us to deal with that in a healthy way this week. Help us to, if we need to, spend some time this afternoon um, confessing that and making it right and following the biblical steps to deal with the bitterness that's in our hearts so that we can come back next week and be ready to, to look into some of the, the more external actions that we can take when we're involved in conflicts. I pray that this week, this church would be an example of love and grace and forgiveness because of the forgiveness that we've received from you. Help us to then offer that to each other. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. I hope you all have a wonderful week. God bless. We'll see you next Sunday.